Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone this morning. Uh, as we've already heard up uh, Camp Oakhurst, I uh, had a text from Pastor Kevin and said that everyone has arrived safely and they're having a great time and uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, prayer and just worship and having a lot of fun and uh, the food is great too. And so one thing that makes Reverence Bible Church what we are is that uh, we like good food. But uh, right now we want to get into God's Word and hear from Him in spiritual food. I have the uh, privilege of sharing with you this uh, third leg, this third installment of why, how then shall we worship? Um, Pastor Andy had the first leg, the first installment was Psalm 12, safe, set, and secure in God's word. Pastor Kevin ran the second lap and he took off from uh, Psalm 16, chapter 1 through 11, our portion and sovereign treasure. And now I have the third leg and I intend to uh, cross the finish line as I run the anchor leg here. Worship. Worship. What is the definition of worship? Worship is to ascribe supreme value to someone. Worship is to ascribe supreme value to someone. Shaka in Hebrew is directed directly to our God. Latruo in the Greek is to target our praise and prostrate ourselves before our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This Psalm 23 is where we're going to pitch our tent pigs today. This was a psalm that was written by David as he was looking through his rearview mirror after many, many uh, difficulties that he had encountered. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He basically had Bathsheba's husband put in the front lines, Uriah the Hittite, that was uh, uh, murdered. And so he went through a myriad of things that were left a difficulty. But he wrote this psalm in retrospect to give us hope. Now you're probably seated here today and you're probably saying worship. You know, worship is very easy to ascribe supreme value to someone or something when everything's going good, right? You're not on financial difficulty. You got your promotion from work. You have your health. But how about if when we lose our job, can you worship him then? That's the $64,000 question, and that's something that we need to entertain ourselves with. Can we ascribe supreme value to God during that time? Can we connect the theological dots to Romans 11.36? From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the praise and glory both now and forevermore. And the list goes on and on. When your world is rocked, can you worship God? This psalm is also about trust and confidence in God. And as, we, as I unfold the sermon today, you'll see how to develop that trust and confidence in God. Trust, ladies and gentlemen, is in direct proportion with how well you know someone. True? I mean, you trust your doctor. 
I mean, there's a lot of doctors out there that wear their lab coat and they have a stethoscope around their neck and they have embroidered after their last name, MD, and you guess you trust them, right? They have a license to practice medicine. But if you draw, stay with me on this thought now, this story's going somewhere. I would trust Dr. Jim Hendrickson and Bev much more than I would trust another doctor that had a license. And here's the point, because I know them. I know them intimately. How well do you know your God? Can you say the Lord is your shepherd? And as we unfold this text like a table napkin, we're going to find just a, a cornucopia of good fruit in terms of abundant provision, and we're going to find his peace in the face of storm. God as our shepherd, as the divine host, and we as his unworthy guests. I've entitled my message this morning, Trusting the Shepherd, Trusting God in Good Times and Bad. So if you have your Bibles handy, I'd like to invite you to open them with me to Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, a psalm of David. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles underneath the pew. Um, Consider that our gift to you if you don't have one. Psalm 23. We'll begin with verse 1 and work our way down through the uh, verse 6. You follow along in your Bible as I read. Psalm 1, I'm quoting from King James, New King James, number 1. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The Lord. This word Lord here is the Hebrew tetragrammaton. It's Y-H-W-H. And it's the covenant name that Yahweh assigned to his chosen people during that dispensation in that era. Yahweh. It's the Hebrew consonants. It was first disclosed to Moses in the burning bush account when they, Moses went up to the Israelites and he says to the Israelites now, suppose I go to the Israelites and I ask them, this is Moses speaking, what is your name? And Yahweh said to Moses, tell the people, I am who I am. Ego ami, as Jesus alluded to. In other words, the person that you're going to in Psalm 23, is someone who has abundant self-sufficiency. He needs nothing. That is whom you are going to when you have fallen on hard times, when you're at your rope's end, when your spouse has died from cancer. This is the person you're going to, the great I am. Then he goes on to say, is my shepherd. The Old Testament 
alludes to this, this imagery here. You might want to jot this down on your notes. Psalm 80, verse 1. You needn't turn there. I'll just write it there. I'll just read it for the brevity of time. Hear us, O Lord, or shepherd of Israel. You lead Joseph like a flock. You sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He tends, this speaking of Yahweh, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his, the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He, he gently leads those who have young. So we see the imagery of the shepherd in the Old Testament passage. One more, Ezekiel 34, 11 through 12. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep. This is Yahweh speaking now. And look after them. New Testament reference to our great God and shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the great shepherd. Three titles assigned to Jesus as our shepherd. John ten eleven. I am, ego ami, again, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Hebrews 13.20 says this, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Isn't that comforting to know that we don't have to do it on our own? We have the all-sufficient Yahweh, and we have Christ, God in a body, to minister to us. One more, 1 Peter 5.4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Jesus is our shepherd. And lest you think that shepherding is something that is effeminate and something that is a really like a sissy, uh, I want to dispel that right out of the gate. We look at uh, David, who was a shepherd in the Old Testament. And David, I'll just read this to you. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. This is David now. Stay with me on this uh, thought and put on your thinking cap. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, this is David talking to Saul, his boss, his king, I went out after it, struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, this is the bear and the lion attacking David, This is David, the shepherd boy, right? David, who slew the Philistine giants. He says, I caught it by its beard, which is hair. Lions don't have beards. I caught it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. So here you have David, the shepherd bear. And when we look at this bear, this is not yogi bear. I mean, this is some, a bear that can really put the heart hurt to you, right? And this, this lion, it's not the lion from the Wizard of Oz. This is some, something that really can hurt you. But my point is this, retracting the thought. David was a shepherd, and he was one tough one. Turn your attention back to the, uh, the text I shall not want. Not that you won't desire something, RBC family. Not that you won't desire something, but that you won't desire something that is not needed, something outside of that. Let me give you a where a, a, a little girl said, the Lord is my shepherd, what more can I want? Right? I'm satisfied with what Christ has to say. And in the immediate context, David is conveying the idea 
that of a flock of young, uh, young and luxuriant grass where the sheep could graze, surrounded by abundance and having satisfied their wants, lying down amidst this luxuriance with calm contentment, lying in the grass and keeping them calm. I shall not want. It is not merely a flock enjoying those repose, but it's sheep that are at rest. They are at peace in lying down in green pastures. Now, you've got to separate yourself from needs for wants, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we separate our needs versus our want. You saying, in terms of your wants, Lord, I want that palatial mansion in Beverly Hills. I want that zip code that says 90210. And as God is going to give you your need, you're going to have that one-bedroom apartment in Blythe. Everybody here know where Blythe is, right? See, nobody knows where it is. That's how bad it is. But the point is the needs versus the want. Needs versus greeds. I shall not want. And then he says here, turn your attention back to the text, RBC family. To be. He, speaking of God now, look at the subject-object distinction here grammatically. He, speaking of God, leads me, you, as sheep, beside what? Still waters. He, speaking of God, restores my soul. When the literal bottom has dropped out of your life, who does the restoration of your soul? God. Who leads you besides still waters? God. In preparation for the sermon, I've done extensive study in uh, Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. It's almost, and Keller goes on to say this, it is almost impossible for sheep, stay with me on this thought now, it's almost impossible to have sheep to lie down until the four prerequisites are met. Number one, they're free from fear, a sheep, to ensure that it's calm. Free from friction, rubbing up against the wool of another sheep. I mean, easier said than done, and How about us as sheep in terms of relational friction? Free from pests, being tormented by flies and parasites and whatnot. That's the third prerequisite in order for a sheep to relax and lie down. Free from hunger, free from the feeling, the need to find food. Those are the four prerequisites that must be met in order for a sheep to lie in the pasture A sheep gets its fattest and wooliest when it's lying down and chewing the cud. No acid reflux here. And that's a strong incentive for the shepherd to calm the sheep to have it lie down in order to be healthier and result in greater profitability for the shepherd. And then he says this, he restores my soul. Again, retracting the thought when the literal Bottom has dropped out of your life when you've fallen on hard times. He restores my soul. Contextually, not in the salvific sense. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. This is damage control. After you've been emotionally scarred, and the A-bomb blast has gone off in your family, perhaps, God's going to restore your soul. He restores my soul. God is utterly 
omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. He will supply you with the necessary grace to sustain you. He restores my soul. And we're still in Psalm 23 now. Stay with me on this thought now. The psalmist said this in Psalm 42.10. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? You know, David had spiritual schizophrenia. He spoke to himself when fallen on hard times. Have you fallen on hard times? Have you gone to the word of God, the sole repository of divine truth, and cleansed your soul by the washing of water through the word? We don't have to go to the television talk show hosts, the media pundits. We don't have to go to Oprah, Dr. Phil, Dr. Laura. We go to the good, great, and chief shepherd. And it's found in the inscripturated words of Holy Writ. That's where we go. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes this morning, and I wish you would, jot it down this way on your outline. And it's in your worship packet. Point number one. Trusting God in good times and bad requires that you, number one, depend on God, not yourself. Depend on God and not yourself. Hold your place here. Are you, are you there in Psalm 23? Hang a right in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter, 8, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. This is to substantiate Depending on God and not yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Are you there? Verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. This is Paul now. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Stay with me on this thought now. We were under great pressure. Philipsis. At all sides far beyond our ability to endure, endure so that we despaired even of life. I'm in the pressure cooker, despaired even of life. Verse 9, indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. I don't see this on a Hallmark or Dayspring card, do you? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on who? Yourself? Circle yourself. No, it says, but on God. Who raises the dead? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he, speaking of God now, and he will deliver us. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. Isn't that what the writer James says? His time, not your time. He operates outside of time. To the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as is a day. On him, the middle of verse 10, now stay with me. On him we have set our hope, and he will continue to deliver us. Cross-reference that to the Romans 5. Suffering produces character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured His love, like a Kool-Aid picture, poured his love into our hearts, your heart as a born-again believer, by the Holy Spirit. That hope is in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not pie in the sky, by and by, slam dunk. God, the Holy Spirit, will provide you with the necessary hope. 
Verse 11, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf. Uninformed brothers, turn your attention back to our text. We don't want you to be uninformed. I'm still in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Uninformed, not having adequate information. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wanted to upload in the flow of Corinthian correspondence in the second letter, 2 Cor 1, he wanted to upload information to allay any inordinate fear that the Corinthians were experiencing during that time. Despaired even of life. There's no passage, no way out, no exit. God has painted us in a corner and we can't get out. There's nowhere to turn. It's like Moses whose toes were up against the Red Sea. Nowhere to go. Here's the Red Sea. Looking over his shoulder, there's Pharaoh. Pharaoh's army barreling down on them. Nowhere to turn. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What are you going through right now? Has God painted you in a corner? The Lord is our shepherd. You shall not want. He'll lead you beside quiet waters. That is a truth that is applicable to you now. Point number one, only God who raises the dead had the power to deliver Paul from his ordeal. One writer put it this way, man's extremity, just outside of your reach, man's extremity is God's opportunity. Think about that. When you have done everything within your power humanly to improve your condition, to sustain you, that's where you're going to see God operate. When he paid you in a corner there. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. God will take you to your furthest, most extreme point of seemingly negative circumstances from which no human resources can deliver you but God. Have you experienced that? The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. One proof text you might write down. Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 12. Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 12. O our God will not judge them. So, for we have no power, this is King Jehoshaphat, we have no power to to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon who? You. In other words, King Jehoshaphat says, "I I don't have the resources to do battle with the Hamas or the Al Qaeda or the Taliban. But my eyes are upon you because you will be my defender. You are my shepherd. Back to the text. Turn your attention back to the text now. I kind of went on a bunny trail there. Psalm 23.3, are you there? 3B, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He guides me, this is uh, the shepherd, guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Paths of righteousness. Noted author and speaker, Dr. J.M. Boyce, the famed Presbyterian minister from 10th Presbyterian Church in Philly, put it this way. Sheep are foolish creatures. In fact, they are probably the most stupid creatures on earth. They can be brought to the best grazing lands and they'll go to a pile of dirt and eat the dirt. 
And then they'll go to a pool of crystal clear mountain spring water, bypass that, go right past that, and to a polluted watering hole that has been urinated. I'm, I'm just reading this now. I'm just, it's in my notes. They've been, that, a, a whole, a, a pond that has been urinated and defecated in, and they'll drink out of that. But God, our shepherd, will say, come on, Bruno, that's that's the wrong way. He'll lead you in paths of righteousness. That's what it means in the immediate context. And ladies and gentlemen, this culture is not helping us, is it? Our culture, situational ethics, moral relativity, those people of the Hollywood entertainment industry, they are trying to lead God's sheep, all of us, down the wrong path. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. The more that our culture strays away, get, stay with me on this thought now, get the vision, get the vision. Divine truth, the more that we as sheep imbibe a secular worldview, the more we're deviating deviating away from truth. He leads us in the path of righteousness. RBC family, we need to stick to divine truth at all times, for he is our shepherd. No situational ethics, no moral relativity. We have the Bible, every jot and tittle, all 66 books. Proof text, Isaiah 53, 6. You want to write this down, Isaiah 53, 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. It's the Burger King mentality, right? Have it your way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just as a shepherd led the sheep to take the correct path, Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, leads we, his sheep, to take the morally high ground of his word. That's the exhortation of Scripture. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep, listen, listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. That knowledge is a personal knowledge through the new birth. Are you born again? John 3, 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Are you? Not because you're a Methodist, Episcopal, Baptist, Presbyterian, Praise Chapel... Calvary Chapel, are you born again? You are a sheep. We as sheep listen to the voice of our great God and shepherd, Jesus Christ. And one thing in Keller's book that I had studied, in that culture, in the, the, uh, in, during that time, a sheep would only respond to the voice of his shepherd, of its shepherd. We need to hear the voice of our shepherd. Turn your attention back to our text in Psalm 23, RBC family. Verse 3C, are you there? For his namesake. For his namesake means for his glory and his honor and divine purposes. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Have I given you point number two yet? I haven't given that to you. Trusting God in good times and bad requires that you, number two, remember 
God is walking with you. In order to trust God in good times and bad times, we have to hit the refresh button on the toolbar of our mind and constantly remind ourselves we're not alone. Isn't that good news? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Remember, God is walking with you. Even though, verse 4 now, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This valley of the shadow of death, this is actually a geographical location. The valley of shadow of death, it exists. The valley of the shadow of death is a literal place located in the land of Palestine. It's a valley located beside a freshwater stream between Bethlehem and Judea. It's 2,700 feet above sea level. And travels down, 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 down. And empties out to the Dead Sea about 1,300 feet below sea level. It's almost like a Grand Canyon-like configuration where torrents and trickles of water are used as mode of transport. But get this now. Oftentimes, both shepherd and sheep were placed in dangerous, precarious positions in this valley of the shadow of death. This is the imagery that David is thinking about in the valley of the shadow of death. It was about a 12-foot wide ravine. And oftentimes, when they took a herd of sheep through there, there were starved, ravenous, wild animals that were in this valley of the shadow of death. There were buzzards, there were vultures, there were wild dogs, there were coyotes, there were cougars lurk in the broken canyon walls and who will do anything to get their next meal. This was the treacherous environs that David was alluding to as he took the sheep down to the valley of the shadow of death. Let's put contemporary significance to this. You've gone to your doctor and he says... Bad news, George. Your body's shot full of cancer. These are the type of valleys that you go through emotionally that you experience. Or how about relationally? Perhaps you're seated here today and some of you have gone through some relational breakups. Something that have really rocked your world. And there's nothing that you can do. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because God is with you. Isn't that good? Isn't that good news? The valley of the shadow of death is as much of God's right path for us as the green pastures are which lie beside quiet waters. God is sovereignly in control of all your circumstances, ladies and gentlemen. Consider it pure joy, brethren, when you face trials of many kind. Because testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work in order for you to be what? Mature and complete, lacking no good thing. You're the clay in the potter's hand, and ladies and gentlemen, he's molding and shaping you into the statuesque image of Christ. Sometimes God pushes in a place that's very painful. Sometimes he, he puts you on the anvil of, of spiritual maturity, and he hammers away, and he hammers away. That's painful. But that's the valley of the shadow of death. And God is, here's my point, God is in control of that. 
Which of you, if you're a parent here, which of you, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, he's talking to parents now, Jesus. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? Amen? Uh, Not quite sure when you're going through that. So retracting the thought, the valley of the shadow of death is as much of God's will for you as a child of God as is everything going well for you. That's a a hard pill to swallow when you're going through that. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. We're we're staying consistent with the thought that God is walking with you. Stay with me on this thought. God is walking with you through the trials and tribulation. Can you trust God? Are you trusting the shepherd in good times and bad times? This was a bad time for Paul. This was a bad time for Paul. Are you there? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. We're on the Bible bus, as J. Vernon McGee would say. So come on, flip those pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. To keep, verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited. Oh, okay. Spiritually puffed up and prideful. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelation, there was given me a thorn. In the original language, it said, I know your Bible might say in the flesh. This is for the flesh. There was a specific purpose why Paul had the thorn in the flesh. Well, back up to verse 7. So he wouldn't be spiritually puffed up. You can bind and loose this demon for all it's worth. God's going to say, no, it's there for a reason. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And basically God said, no, no, no. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Middle of verse 9. For my power is made perfect in weakness Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, his purpose, his motive, his honor, and his glory, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We're talking about God not necessarily removing you from an ostensibly negative circumstances. He's going to give you the necessary grace to power you through that trial, that tribulation, that vicissitude, and whatever problem that you're going through. God will not always remove you. He won't give you the spiritual sky hook and get you off the hook. He'll leave you in there. So that all the dross and the impurities bubble to the surface and he skims it up. And you look more like the mirrored image of Christ. And that's consistent with point number two. Remember, God is walking with you. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. Turn your attention back to the text, RBC family. Psalm 23, 4C. Psalm 23, 4C. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff were symbolic of God's presence, protection, and guidance. Did you catch that? 
The rod and the staff were symbolic as a shepherd of God's presence, his protection, and his guidance. What a great resource we have to turn to. When things go south, he's our presence. He's our protector. He's our guidance. Psalm 110, verse 2. Jot that down on your margin. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of our enemies. God will supply that. Micah, chapter 7, verse 14. Another Old Testament scriptural citation to substantiate God being with you. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as, as the days long ago. And the shepherd's crook oftentimes when the sheep would stray away from the sheepfold, the shepherd would take the crook and gently nudge and pull the sheep into the direction that it wanted to go. And sometimes it would take that hook and break the legs. If that sheep was not going in the right direction. I found this in Philip Keller's book in my research. And he would take, get the vision now, he would take that sheep and pick it up and put it on his shoulders in order to bring that sheep back to the sheepfold. What is God doing in your life today? Uh, I would dare say that perhaps there's something there that you're holding on to, perhaps a sin or something like that, and God is trying to get your attention and bring you back to the sheepfold. Perhaps. Back to our text. Psalm 23, verse 5. I'm out of time, RBC family. Let's get uh, right to the third point. Right out of the gate. Jot it down this way on your outline. Point number three. Trusting God in good times and bad requires that you focus on the future. Focus on the future. Sometimes we get so myopic. Sometimes we get so caught up into our trials that we're going through. It's hard to see beyond the fog. But we want to focus on the future. In verse 5, Psalm 23, 5. Are you with me? You, speaking of God, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. What's that mean? Shepherd's preparation for the high tablelands. In order for the shepherd, the shepherd would precede the sheep and they would go to the high tablelands in the mesa where the sheep would graze in the summer. The shepherd would precede the sheep while they were grazing and this shepherd would rid it of the area and clear it of debris poisonous plants, and predators in order to protect the sheep. This is what is meant by you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. When sheep return to the fold at night, the shepherd would inspect each one of the sheep going into the sheep pen. Oh, what happened, Bruno? Low branch? And they would inspect that each and every one of the sheep to ensure the health of that sheep. RBC family, I declare to you, we have a good, great, and chief shepherd who is looking over our souls. Is he not? Through prayer, 
through fellowship, through application of the word, he's anointing our head with oil, taking care of it. And the shepherd would take a mixture of olive oil, sulfur, spices, and rub it into the affected area of that sheep, wherever anatomical area of that sheep that needed the balm of Gilead. And they used to use sheep during that time for medicinal purposes. They didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have the things where you can go to CVS. These are the type of things that they had to apply. Oil. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Jesus said in John 10, 7, Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not go and listen to them. Mm -mm. Verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come and go and find what? Pasture. This is Jesus talking, John 10, 7. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 7. RBC family, we needn't go anywhere else. We go to the good, great, and chief shepherd to satisfy all our needs and all our wants and all our desires. And when we're going through any trial, tribulation, or vicissitude, we know that Romans 8.28, God causes some things to work together for the good. Is that what it says? All things to work together for the good. Work together, sooner geo, is the working together of various elements to produce an effect greater than the sum of each element working separately. In other words, it's like bison. I know this is just a weak illustration. I've got to bring some of you guys up here that has the muscles, right? But it's bicep and tricep. Bicep and tricep. God is working everything to good. These things on your bicep that are good and beneficial, your health, Financially doing well, house is paid off, car is paid off, you're doing good financially and all those things. This is your bicep, tricep right here. Those things that we perceive as being evil and harmful, loss of a loved one, relational breakdown. And he's working those things, lightweight, high reps, lightweight, high reps. God is taking the flabby muscle of faith in order to produce the great bicep of endurance. God is working all those things. That's our shepherd. That's how he operates. And then he goes on to say with this, text 6b, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To have a sure home was always the desire of this nomadic people during that era occupied the Near East border, the Mediterranean Sea. They too, during that era, were looking for the goodness to follow them all the days of their life. And that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus said in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, you may be also. 
That's a New Testament text that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know where this message finds you today. Maybe, uh, maybe on the internet or somebody on the CD that might listen to this. But if you have not repented of your sins and you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Lord is not your shepherd. The Lord is not your shepherd. You must be born again. Jesus said in John 3, 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. That's bad news. We care about your soul. Have you repented of your sins? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Psalm 23, 1 is a promise targeting for those people who have repented and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as a good shepherd. So let's take care of that first. If you're not quite sure where you're at with God, please come see me. Or if you don't want to talk to me, talk to one, anybody here. But talk to them about the gospel. We need to run before we walk. The Lord will be your judge. That's bad news. I have to tell you the bad news before the good news. The good news is that if you repent and you trust Christ and you repented of your sins, the Lord is your shepherd. The good, the great, the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd. He is the great I am. God wields his gavel in his courtroom of jurisprudence and declares you not guilty. That's good news, isn't it? You've been absolved, exonerated, acquitted of all your sins, past, present, and future, and your fine has been paid. The fine has been paid by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is deposited into your account, imputed to your account. That's the good news. You have a building from God, not built by human hands. Trusting the shepherd, both in good times and bad times. Depend on him. Remember, God is with you. Focus on the future. May your trust in him be ever increasing until he calls you home or he comes back for his church. That's my hope and my prayer for you and me. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its relevance to us today. It doesn't have to be revised, re-edited, or redacted. Father, I pray for that if there's anybody here that has not repented and trusted Christ, is not born again, Father, that you would awaken their dead soul and cause them to be born again. Number two, Father, I pray for my RBC family, whom I love dearly. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray that we would fall deeper in love with you. As one writer put it, every Christian's battle is fought at the level of desire. Lord, would you do that? Would you help us to desire you more than our desire to sin, more than our desire to go after the things of this world that is fleeting, Father, the only message that's going to matter a hundred years from now is the gospel. So help us to be diligent in that area. Father, we trust you because we know you. 
Help us to trust you more through the knowledge of you experientially as we comb passages of scripture in the text and we rely on God the Holy Spirit to illuminate your word and effectually put it into our practice in our lives 24-7, 365. I pray for all of us that there wouldn't be a slightest passage of time that would elapse where we wouldn't have a deep, rich, strong, indestructible intimacy with you. Thank you that our salvation is not in jeopardy based upon what we do or don't do on a human treadmill. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help us to spend and be expended for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.